Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the Roman's Empire podcast, where all we do is talk Chelsea and talk shit about everyone else. Boys, 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 boys. Um, some interesting things trending on Twitter, but we're going to talk some Chelsea. Um, <laughs> safe to say, without directly uh, stating yeah, we'll what is trending. Leave it at that, Zach. Yeah, we'll just, we'll just leave Ugh. it at that. Um, but if you're an Arsenal fan... Um, Zach, leave it at that. Okay. Leave it at that. Sorry. Leave okay. it at that. No more. <laughs> no comment. Okay. Uh, so yeah, it's today just, today's a national holiday, the day after the Super Bowl. Uh, so uh, shout out to all of you Americans who had fun yesterday. Uh, we had a full day of mat of sports. It was amazing. We got to wake up, watch uh, Liverpool get their ass smacked, and then we got to watch. Chelsea barely <laughs> grind through uh, uh, th- a win to get three points. And then we watched a terrible football game. And I really hope I really hope that our uh, non-American listeners who, you know, maybe it was their first taste of football, uh, you know, or maybe maybe not. But, you know, you don't watch a lot of football. And if this is the, the only match you the only game you watch then you probably think american football is an incredibly boring sport but i promise you it's not for the most part but uh andreas how it was a really you? bad it was a really bad game i'll yeah. give it that great analysis andreas yeah. what did you do what did you do for the super bowl i uh hosted two four friends of ours here at my apartment so i finally had people over here now that it's fully furnished um oh, yeah i, I didn't notice out. the echo this time so yeah that's yeah, the on the furniture everything's all set up so uh it's i just need to hang up like a few things on the wall but it's pretty much done but uh shout out to my boy wasim for having some awesome jalapeno poppers those were the the big hit uh, yeah shout out to wasim yeah he, the, the jalapeno poppers were a bigger hit than the weekend's halftime show that's for sure wow i didn't think mm-hmm. I, I didn't think it was that bad I'm I just not, thought I'm it was uneventful. It was really? just uneventful. You thought it was uneventful? I'm not like a fan. It was cool. I'm not a – it wasn't uneventful. I wasn't I, – I, look, I'm not a fan of The weekend. Like I don't listen to his music, but I always thought the dude was, was auto-tuned. I had no idea that's his real voice. Like I guess I've been ignorant to that this whole entire yeah, time. So when I saw, <laughs> No, but, it, but I mean the guy's talented. My thing is I just feel like everything sounds the same. Here's the thing. You can't go from J-Lo and Shakira to a guy that his only dance move is yeah. moving his feet. Okay, his I mean, here, think right. about like, this, Andres. No, there was just not a big – I didn't feel the wow factor. And even Bruce Springsteen slid across his stage, and he's like 60 years old. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. I get that the it's one a pandemic. Thing... I get it. But he was on the field. He, I thought at first he was going to do his whole thing up there, but he went down on the field. So – I'm not going to give him an excuse because he put $7 million of his own money apparently into this show. Yeah. And I just didn't see it. I just didn't see it. R- Dude, so wait, hold on, hold on, a... hold on, hold on. Like mm-hmm. normally, normally for these halftime shows, it's a, there's a stage in the middle of the field and they do the whole performance on that. So this is the first like performance, you know, they did, they did the whole thing on a, you know, a hundred yard field. I thought that was that was really interesting, like you know, like just the, horror, that was the cool. whole choreography and like, you know, yeah. like you never see a concert with on a stage that big, like a hundred yards, and he they took advantage of that. It was pretty cool. 
I'm I'm not the biggest weekend fan either, but I you know, I like I like his I liked it. I don't know. I, I, I guess you mean. the art of the bandaged guys and and uh, I it's was a really social commentary, Andreas. Come on, be yeah. woke. Again, come on. I'm not artsy. I guess kidding. it's just. I'm I just prefer kidding. choreography and, and explosives and uh, giant robots that Katy Perry rides across the field or her dancing or the sharks. sharks. Yeah, or the sharks. gorgeous women dancing. Yeah, exactly. Like, uh, like you were saying earlier. Just the weekend, I don't know, the man. Just do, do the, bangers. Does He's America's like children need to see that? You know, it's 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 not good family, uh, you know, programming with, you know, it's, it's too sexual. I can't I can't watch it with my family. It's all the weekend gonna... is nice, nice and PG, you know. Doesn't do, no, no sexual references whatsoever in his music. It's every it's kid great. out there has a TikTok. <laughs> I think they've been sexualized enough. So my thing is, true. if you're one of the Chiefs players in in, in the locker room at halftime and you're hearing the music, you know, because you could obviously hear something. It's it must be such a buzzkill. Like my issue with the Super Bowl halftime performances is they never bring someone out to pump the crowd up. It's always like, what? I mean, Sh- Shakira, Shakira and J-Lo did. I'll give them that. But like bringing out someone like The Weeknd didn't really like pump me up all too much. I don't know. Exactly. But like it was Zero. fun. It was entertaining. No bangers. No bangers. It was just very, it was Bro, just very meh. It, you, you he has that, that like one new wave the, sounding song that he played You think that the players, like that you think that the Chiefs players at halftime were worried at all about the halftime performance? They were worried about no, getting back in the Super Bowl. What I'm saying is <laughs> No, but what I'm saying in the midst of like of like their pity and like you know like their anger for being down that big at halftime on on top of all of that they have to hear the weekend like I would rather hear like Lil John and the East Side Boys, you know. And that that's enough crazy. of the Super Bowl. I know, Bring yeah. Let's, let's Bring get, us back, yeah. Song. Bring it home. <laughs> that was some that was some good discussion though. I uh, I appreciate yeah. that. Um, all right, let's get into this Chelsea uh, Sheffield United match because. Apparently, calling them Sheffield is not good enough because there's Sheffield Wednesday. So, Sheffield United, uh, sitting last in the Premier League, uh, they put up a good fight, uh, finishing the match 2-1. Could have been uh, 2-0 if it weren't for that Rudiger own goal. We'll get into that. Let's start off with the starting lineup. So, starting in goal, Mendy. Uh, then we lined up with a 3-4-3. Um, so the back three was Dave, AC, Rudiger with uh, Zuma out with a mysterious injury that no one knows about. And um, Thiago Silva getting hurt last match. Um, midfield, we had uh, the the Jovicic uh, double pivot and uh, Ch- uh, Chilwell and Reese James playing as the wingbacks. Um, thanks for not including... Oh, yeah, you put Jovicic. Never mind. And then a front three of Mount Werner and Giroud. So let's start off with talking about, I want to talk about three players in particular. Um, and these were the, you know, I thought, I thought for the most part we played a good match, but um, these three really struggled. And uh, that's, that's Jorginho, Giroud and Chilwell. Uh, we'll leave Chilwell for last because I just wanted you know, try avoiding that discussion for as long as possible. But uh, <laughs> Jorginho, um after his can we real... before before we get to them individually sure. can we like overall with the lineup can we agree that on paper this made sense thinking that Sheffield was going to sit back and absorb our pressure the whole game yes 
Okay, I, I, say, I, I, I think, like I the think that's a caveat that we need to point out <clears throat> that we all expected Sheffield to defend with 10 men and let us pass the ball around, which in my mind made this lineup, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Uh, it just made sense. I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, but it made... The, midf- the midfield made sense. The, 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 the I... whole lineup to me made sense. A big, a big uh, physical team that's just going to absorb pressure. Even that made sense to me to have Giroud as the target man for other people to work around. Um, Agreed. I mean, the center back selection was the center back selection was made for him. I mean, there he had no other choice than to play those three. So the rest, I guess, um, you know, Reese James and Chilwell at at fullbacks wasn't. I mean, if you're saying that they they're gonna sit back and press on us, I mean, are waiting for they're they're good crossers. I just thought that. in my mind, I guess Chilwell and Reese James have made a living off their crosses this season. Yeah. Under the previous manager, Joe Jorginho and Kovacic have been passing circles against this, these teams that sit back. You can't mm-hmm. drop them out right now. <clears throat> uh, Giroud against physical players. Maybe he's more fit with his back to goal. And then Werner on form, I guess you can say he played well against Tottenham. Therefore you play him again here today. And you hear then that Pulisic had a family issue. Kai Havertz was still hurt. So it was, you know, the, the, and Cho, and Cho was to be rested, if I'm not mistaken, as well. So it was one of those things where he almost picked himself also. So I just thought, based on how we as a, as fans and as maybe as even the coaching staff thought, expected Sheffield to sit back, I thought the lineup made sense. But I, I agree with the players you named, and, and we can get into that. As to the why, it maybe didn't play out. Yeah, let's. Oh, sorry, Zach, you want to say something? No, no, I was just going to mention that the fullback selection would have been one that I might have changed, or wingback selection. Sorry. Yeah. I, I think if like if the team really was going to sit back, I think it would have helped to maybe have one natural defender play as a wingback as opposed to fielding two. Um, but that's yeah, we could save that for when we talk about Chilwell. All right, let's start off with Jorginho. So he played the full ninety. Um, just, uh, you know, it's a, it's a typical Jorginho match with 104 touches, you know, a lot of passes, uh, but only one key pass. Um, his long ball was not effective. Only one of five, uh, completed, uh, you know, once again, as a statue on defense, uh, just letting people run by him like uh, on, on, uh, sofa score, uh, they have him marked down as only two players running past him, but it was for sure a lot more than that. Uh, lost 14 possessions. Um, so I'm not sure what, what happened to the Jorginho of the last, you know, three matches uh, where it really looked like he regained his form. But, I mean, this is just something that we have to expect from Jorginho. Every, ever since he, I mean, he always does this where he plays a couple matches it brings us more comfort and faith in his ability, and then he has a match like this, and it makes us question whether the last couple matches were a fluke or not. I mean, he's, he's just he's just inconsistent, I think, at this point. Um, I mean, Zach, do you, do you think it's more of that, or you know, what was this just like the wrong match for him as far as like being a victim of the formation? Uh, I I kind of agree with Andres, like. 
I don't think starting Jorginho in this match was the wrong call. Common sense would tell you that Sheffield's going to sit and try to hit us on the counter. So having a guy like Jorginho would make sense. Um, what I seem to notice him struggle with, and you know, this is really probably the first time we've seen it under Tuchel, where a team is actually coming on to us, where we were sort of under uh, up against it for you know what the first five to seven minutes. Um, Sheffield were kind of all over us, and, and, and Jorginho was sort of the focal point of. <laughs> of, you know, uh, uh, them running directly through our midfield. That that was the weakness there. So, you know, they obviously exploited him. Um, I think the guy can't commit a cynical foul to save his life, which is something that's pretty important in the Premier League, especially if you're not the most athletic player. you got to know how to pull someone down. You saw him try to do that on a couple of occasions and just, like, not be able to. The, the physicality is way too much for him. Anybody that tries to argue that is is is, is not watching the same game I am. Whether or not he's talented enough to play in the Premier League is a completely different argument, and I think he is. And, and we've seen him do that. So in that sense, Sam, I don't think it's a fluke. Um, I just think, you know, in in a game or a situation or against a team uh, that's going to come onto us and apply pressure to us and sort of take the game to us, what Sheffield did, um, Jorginho isn't the right call, especially in a double pivot. Um, you know, we've seen at times that succeed with, with a midfield three, like at the end of the game, when Conte got subbed in, Jorginho went back to the base and Conte and Kovacic were playing just ahead of him. And, and we looked pretty good. Um, but, but just overall, I don't think it's a coincidence that the first team that really comes at us, um, right from the get go exposes Jorginho. Andres, what do you think? Because when you think about it, like, uh, my, my, I guess the point I'm making is like Wolverhampton, Spurs, they didn't really have a go at us like right. Sheffield did. Yeah, of course. And again, Sheffield was pressing like crazy and Jorginho got rattled. And if you're going to ask Jorginho to win a physical fight, he's not going to win it. My, the thing that was curious to me was just why keep him in 45 minutes after, even after halftime. We, we got the goal before before half. He was struggling severely why uh, what is the need and <clears throat> i had seen a tweet before this match actually right after spurs saying it's like oh funny how in the right system Jorginho shows he's not shit basically um just saying it in layman's terms i guess and uh yeah. i i retweeted it and said i mean he's playing well but i'm still not sold and and to be honest at the end of the day I don't think we need both Jorginho and Kovacic in this formation for it to succeed. I think Jorginho makes it a little bit more uh, med like he will play the metronome perfectly, but I don't see why Conte can't do the same thing. We saw Jorginho's long passes aren't there. Kovacic is built perfectly for this system, and Conte is going to give you that defensive output that Jorginho is just not going to have, and maybe. Maybe that allows someone like Mason Mount not to defend as much as well because you can count on Conte. So for me, it was just, you know, we all know Jorginho's lack of physicality and athleticism. It's a matter of of being able to to choose when to play him. And today we kind of got caught blind blindsided. We were blindsided by Sheffield. But the shocking part was seeing Tuchel not pull him especially after we saw him pull Tammy after a bad 45 minutes. For sure, Andreas, I'm with you. Like that, 
that was <laughs> i feel like that decision was kind of made for me in the first 20 minutes of the half to be honest uh just from what i saw that he was doing and i don't know he just can't hold his own against a team like like sheffield that is pretty physical i mean I think there's just, you know, one thing that Jorginho provides to the team that uh, I think is worth keeping him on the pitch for a full 90. And that's his, you know, ability to bark orders and instruct players where to stand. Because, like, I, I do, I, I just keep an eye on him. Every match, I I watch him for, you know, a, a run of, you know, a bit, a bit run of the play. I don't know what what I'm saying right now, but... I watch him for a little bit and, you know, I always just keep an eye on him, you know, just yelling at everyone and telling them what to do, pointing. Uh, and, you know, even though he can't defend himself, I guess he's got a pretty good idea of how to set the team up and how to communicate. So, uh, I mean, that's that's one of the reasons why he's the, he was the co-captain. And I, I, I like it, you know, it's it's I think that all the bad that he does, this is the reason why he stays on for a full 90. Because, you know, Tuchel's a smart guy. He he, he sees the same thing we're seeing, right? I mean, it, it doesn't look good. But I really do think that the the benefit that he provides to this to the team by his voice uh, is, is, is warranted of him playing a full 90, right? I mean, do you guys notice that as well? Yeah, I... I also think it's a matter of Conte just coming back from injury, so maybe him not being available right away has forced Tuchel to use Jorginho three matches on the trot. Tuchel's talked about Conte while he was at PSG. He's talked about him multiple times since he got hired here. He loves him, so at some point, I expect Conte to come back into the come back into the fold in some way, shape, or form. But it's really hard for me not to see him come back into the starting lineup. Uh, more often than not, I know I know Tuchel's a situational manager that's going to be adjusting the lineup, but I don't think that Tuchel's. I, I, I think I, I think people are jumping the gun a bit about Tuchel and Jorginho. I think I think people are are real quick to assume that Tuchel is sort of sorrying Jorginho, which he he isn't, um, and, and that's the point I'm making. I think I think Conte is going to come back in and Jorginho's playing time. Jorginho's going to be the one that that, that falls out. I think Kovacic has been way too good. Even but, though Conte's performance wasn't uh he didn't look that good in the what the 15 20 minutes he played. Yeah, against but, Tottenham, but, yeah, he wasn't great. Yeah, but but when he came on here, we we actually got control of the match and I said it before we started recording. It, it could have been a matter of Sheffield running out of gas, which was possible. Um, and, and probably had something to do with it. But when Jorginho went back to the base and Conte was playing just ahead of him, it, it, Jorginho was getting on the ball and, and, and doing his thing again and, and sort of being the player that we saw in the last two or three matches. Um, so I guess that's the point I'm making. Maybe maybe Tuchel sees that as, as, a, as a potential setup for the future. You know, it, it was weird because our back three was, was, was Conte's and our – and our and our midfield three was Saris, which you know it, it's it's just sort of like representative of Chelsea in the last few years. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, I, I I don't expect Jorginho to be in the lineup week in and week out. I don't. I I, I think he's going to be in the squad. 
but let's let's move on to Jorginho. I mean to Giroud now. <laughs> We're talking so much about Jorginho. Uh, so Giroud, he only lasted 62 minutes in this match. His second appearance under Tuchel. Neither of them looking all that promising. He, he didn't get a sh he didn't even get a single shot off this game. Uh, you know, I, I was talking about Jorginho losing 14 possessions. In 90 minutes, Giroud lost 15 possessions in 62 minutes. Just didn't look, uh, it just didn't look all too comfortable on the pitch. And uh, I think it was Uzak last week uh, when we picked our best strikers right now. Uh, you picked Giroud. <laughs> and I, I want to know yeah. whether you, you want to change your answer now after this match or whether you're holding true. If you're going to ask me if I'm going to shit on Giroud, no. Am I going to retract my statement? Yes. Um, yeah, I wasn't asking you to shit on Giroud, no. Yeah, no. I, I'll never. He's been too good for us. But based on Werner's performances, I, I think he's now our best striker. Look, this is going to be a conversation that we're going to have three or four more times before between now and the end of the season because we haven't even seen Tammy really get into uh, – get into the side as much like i know he's kind of struggling right now but i do expect him to get another shot and i do expect expect him to take some of his opportunities that come his way so i think this conversation is just kind of a, a fluid situation but with Giroud, i think it's a little different um i just think stylistically it's uh it doesn't necessarily work out i i, I said it time and time again i tuchel loves to have mobility uh up front and and he likes to have a fluid front three as well and when he plays Giroud there, it kind of limits you in that sense. So, um, yeah, I, I think it's a matter of time um, before, you know, Tammy gets ahead in the pecking order over Giroud. I mean, I, I, Timo's the number one, and Tammy will probably be the number two sooner rather than later. Andres? I, I mentioned it when we were discussing the game, you know, in our group text before, that unless Giroud gets an early ball to his feet, while we were trying to, you know, build up through through the Sheffield, well, I expected it to be a low block. Unless that ball got to his feet quick, I didn't think he was going to be effective. And Sheffield shows up, presses on us, and Giroud just couldn't get open. Like, there was no, there is no burst of speed change of direction for him to find space because he's, that's just not who he is. So, yeah, it was it was just a bummer because, again, going into the match, we thought, it all made sense, but he was completely ineffective. Uh, all of the balls that Werner was able to get into in behind were through, you know, through balls from Chilwell, uh, surprisingly, even a through ball from Kovacic over the top. So even the wall pass, which I was hoping would be our main way of breaking down this low block, or again, just Sheffield in general, because they didn't do that, wasn't even a thing. The ball never got to Giroud's feet to, to even do that. So, you know, we talk about this central striker position, and in really, in reality, it's more of like a false nine. And you're asking the the middle striker to to come back into midfield, help with the buildup, and release those two floating ten inside forward guys. Which I know we discussed it last week, and we didn't really throw in this name. I'm gonna throw a left field shout. I think Kai Havertz could succeed in that role. He's got Marcus that Alonso. mix of size and speed. We play Barnsley on Thursday. It would be a perfect chance to, for him to reignite that hat trick. But 
back to Giroud. I mean, the writing's on the wall for him to now leave this summer. Uh, if things would have maybe worked out under Frank Lampard, maybe he gets another extension, but I, I just don't see it anymore. I, I'm not ready to completely give up on him for this season, although uh, I do agree it's more likely than not that he's gone this summer. Uh, right, right. Not not necessarily saying that I wouldn't want to have him back, but again, with our striker situation, uh, we probably don't need him back. You know, I thought the same thing this season coming into it. It was it's nice to have him back, but probably didn't need him. But um, maybe maybe it is just going to take a little bit of time for him to adjust to the new system, and uh, you know, so I'm not. I don't think anyone here is going to give up hope on him for this season. So we'll see what happens. Let's now let's get into Chilwell. Um, just so you know, uh, the Chilwell train has made a very brief stop for repairs. Um, we are, we are improving to the new, uh, high speed rails. Um, you know, the German engineering. So, uh, this will <laughs> take, it takes a little bit of time to get used nice. to it. And, uh, uh donkey shin, um and hey andres you like that <laughs> donkishin beatishin i know that too um but playing in a wing back role could be something that he needs some time getting used to uh he he played 62 minutes uh not not an eventful 62 minutes uh 27 of 32 of his passes completed good for 84 percent uh only connected on one of four of his crosses uh again similar problems to Jorginho and Giroud with uh 10 possessions loss uh I think is it possible that he's just positionally on where out left wing back I know that he is coming off you know did he have an injury I I, I can't even remember he, he missed a couple matches but I think it's it, he hasn't he hasn't been in form for quite some time. It's been probably a month since we've seen a really good Chilwell performance. So, is this you know cause for concern, Andreas, or do you think it's just again it just adjustment to this new role? I, I mean, he's got the tools, right? If we put him next to Alonso, we think okay, well, this Chilwell makes way more sense. I think the one difference is that when Chilwa was playing fullback, he had a winger in front of him. So a lot of that, uh, a lot of the creating space for yourself was taken away. He didn't have to do that because the winger was creating a two V one situation for him. Now with Werner being more central, that's a lot more one-on-one -on -one responsibilities, which is why we see Cho succeed so much at the opposite side of the field as a right wing back. And maybe Chilwell's just not up to speed with how what he wants to do in a 1v1 situation. Uh, maybe he's struggling to find the correct uh, times to make the runs. Because again, usually he makes an overlapping run and the defender has to make a last-minute decision whether he stays with the winger or the left back. So again, I think it's going to take a little bit of time. Chilwell is a full-on attacking fullback. And you would think that that makes a quick transition. But as we're seeing it, Sometimes it just doesn't. He he looked a little bit lost. And, and honestly, the one thing that I can firmly say he did well was find Werner 
the one time he did find him making that through ball between defenders in which Werner then eventually found Mason Mount for, for Mason Mount's goal. So the, that run was there all day, and even then he didn't find it many times. So, yeah, I think he's just adjusting. It's a different role altogether. Um, again, fullback, four in the back, you go chill Will every day. I don't care if his form is bad as a wingback. He was probably going to look fine if he goes back to a back four. Back three, totally different situation. Yeah, I'm not buying this whole, oh, Chilwell can't play there, you know, it, 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 it's it's senseless. I, I think it's just a matter of time before, you know, eventually he comes into his own. Um, whether we stick with the back three or not is going to be interesting. But, um, you know, with Chilwell, I think it's a situation that's very similar to Tammy's where, you know, you had a manager that was constantly encouraging you and saying good things about you. Um, and, 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 you know, you had a good relationship with them and now someone new comes in and, and it's an adjustment and there's going to be a period where, you know, tactically you got to get used to things, um, in terms of training, you got to get used to things and, and, and even knowing exactly what the manager wants. I know Tuchel's really good at communicating his ideas across. Um, and, and I think we saw him play a little bit of Tuchel ball. I guess you could call it with the pass that Andres was talking about the lead up to Mount school where he played Werner in. Um, he's going to come good. I'm, I'm not, I'm not concerned about him at all. Now I think the more interesting uh, thing is, you know, Tuchel seems to really like a lot, uh, Marcus Alonso as a wing back uh, for obvious reasons. Um, but if we do go to a back four long term, um, you know, we still don't have a backup left back. So, you know, if, if the back four is ultimately what Tuchel's aiming for, let's say, you know, that's what we play the majority of our games as, if Chilwell goes down, um, you know, one solution is playing Alonzo at wing back. But what if we want to stick with a back four? Um, I think that's another, you know, a, another thing to sort of point out. Because, Andres, you talked about the back four and Chilwell. Chilwell's obviously the number one there. Um, but it's Tuchel, know, I, so, so I don't think he's yeah. going to get wedded into a back four if he if he doesn't have the people for it like we, yeah, we already know I, that i feel like if i feel like right. if he doesn't have the players for it yeah yeah he's gonna change he's gonna change the formation based on the system um yeah just who he has available I, the only reason we haven't seen a bad four is because or back four excuse me is that he he feels he hasn't been able to coach it up as much the way he wants yeah. a back four to be run so we simplify it as a back three the back three like you mentioned under conte Christensen was more involved the second season, but under Conte, they won the season best defensive back line with, with Courtois in goal. But that's probably why he's doing that now. It's okay. These guys did it. It's already a proven thing. We're going to go with that. I can play two people in midfield. And again, Tuchel has mentioned that Conte is best in a double pivot as a six with another guy next to him. Like he's not alone DM. So your point earlier about, Conte making it in later, totally valid there. Again, I I just think Chilwell was brought specifically by Lampard to play how Chilwell plays best. So again, Lampard, not known for giving a lot of tactical instruction, Chilwell was doing what was best for Chilwell. Now there's instructions in place, and he's just adjusting to that. Yeah, interesting, interesting take. I never thought of it that way, but that's an interesting way to frame it. Um, let's talk about Timo Werner a little bit because 
he is a guy who's been catching a lot of slack, rightfully slow, right for rightfully so for the way he's been playing. But he he, he really did perform well uh, yesterday, and uh, he finished you know drawing the penalty. He had an assist as well uh, on the Mason Mount goal. So uh, I mean Mason Mount also had a phenomenal match, but I think. You know, most of what we we talk about this every week, so we don't really need to say much more about Mason Mount. But with uh, Werner, I think the most interesting part about his performance is actually what he said afterwards. Uh, a little bit of a, you know, maybe a little bit of a slight to Frank, or you know, maybe it's just more of a compliment to Tuchel. But he said, "Now I play a left ten instead of a left winger." So. It's very good for me. A good move from the manager. I, I, I just, I can, I can't read that without thinking that it's a bit of a slight to Frank for him, you know, saying that he he did he wasn't using him right, and now he's being used correctly, being played in the right spots, and I mean even Mason Mount, like he's playing he's playing as a winger, but. You know, his his goal and all of his best chances came from when he was in a midfield spot, you know, like he was taking the shot on top of the box. He wasn't, you know, in the final third or, you know, in the on the wing. Uh, but I don't know. What, Zach, what, what did you think? I heard you uh, take a deep breath. Sound like you want to say something. <laughs> yeah. Um, man of the match performance is a good way to put it. I, I, I thought he was. Um, Mason Mount was really good in this game as well. Um, Kovacic. Kovacic was good. I mean, you could kind of point out a couple good performers. Yeah, yeah. But when it comes to Timo, I think the most important thing um, that isn't mentioned enough, or or, or, the, or the thing that's not mentioned as much as his lack of, of scoring goals, is, is how much confidence he's getting on the pitch. And he just looks a different player. He seems to know what exactly is being asked of him but he also is in positions and in areas of the pitch where you know he is comfortable because when he's receiving the ball his first touch is in heavy he's not hesitating when when, when the ball uh, gets to his feet um, he's finding all the right runs he's making great runs um, not all of them are being picked out and Tuchel talked about that again he's you know uh, after the match, he said that we weren't, uh, we were missing a lot of opportunities in the midfield and up top uh, in terms of an out ball when building out of the back. So Timo was at the core of that because this is the guy running in behind um, and and creating that space for Mason Mount to operate. Um, but yeah, I mean, I thought it was a really good performance from him, and you know, the goal is going to come eventually. Um, I I don't know what I what I think about what he said uh in terms of taking penalties you know that they asked him Jorginho seems to be the penalty taker you know are you going to take one anytime soon and he mentioned the Luttentown penalty and 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 that you know it's in the back of his head you know he's he's completely aware of his performances so on one hand that's great he's grounded but on the other hand you want your striker being an arrogant fuck don't you like kind of like Diego Costa where you know he wants every single goal for himself like I want my striker arguing with his own player over who touched it last before it rolled in the back of the net um so yeah i mean m maybe it's just a mindset thing with him but his confidence is definitely there and as of right now you know we, we mentioned it after the tottenham performance and i think andres would probably agree with me too everything 
seems to be there but the goal. Yeah, and and I I guess I didn't take that as much to like I know his post match interview was a lot about helping the team and and today I guess nowadays players are calling earning a penalty that has scored another assist because he mentioned he got two assists. I mean, at the end of the day, he, if you count the goals that came from his penalties plus his assists plus the goals, I believe he's contributed to thirteen goals. So yes, he's not scoring him scoring them directly. And he even mentioned that assists were a big part of his game in Leipzig too, which is not false. It's just that he also scored 35 goals last season. <laughs> yeah. So I think in the Bundesliga, I think it's a though. good thing that he is right in the Bundesliga. I just think it's a right, it's it's the right mindset to be in right now as a striker. That hey, I'm not scoring, but hey, I'm not going to focus on that. I'm going to focus on the fact that I got an assist. I've earned two penalties in the past two matches. Right. I'm doing these things right. The you know the payoff will come, mm-hmm. and I think that's the right mindset. I get it that you want this guy to to you know take the ball and 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 take the penalty. And I'm sure that if you know if we were up, if we weren't, if Rudiger hadn't scored an own goal, perhaps you know maybe the same, yeah. maybe Timo takes it there because it's one nil. And, and the pressure's not on kind of thing, and, and right. maybe they, he has the conversation then. But, again, I, I don't I don't want to discredit his performance today. I thought that he was the, the man of the match deservingly. I thought that, along with Mason Mount, they were dangerous when, when on the ball. I still think that our team has not learned the fact that Timo is fast yet because <laughs> – I cannot believe we still miss him in so many of the runs he's making props to him Mm -hmm. to continue making those runs because by now I would have probably given up on making those runs, but the time will come for them to find him. And, and all it takes is a little bit more confidence to just for him to pull the trigger first time, instead of taking maybe that extra one or two touches because he can do that. Like he's got that in his arsenal. And again, confidence is getting back up. He gets the man of the match. He's smiling. We're, we're winning. The goals are what's needed now because, like you mentioned earlier, we still have no idea who our true central striker is, and we need to find that because goals need to come from somewhere if we're going to keep climbing up this table. And not just on the offensive end. I mean, he's running. He, he ran for the full 75 minutes. He was on the pitch. Even when uh, pressing on the on, on the other team's defense, you know, whenever one of their center backs had the ball, he he wouldn't stop running at them and just kept the pressure on. Um, that was that that was very impressive, and I noticed that right up until he got subbed out. Um, you know, right before that, it was like around the 74th minute where he was still pressing hard, and I had to stand up and do a little bit bit of an applause uh, in my in my in my living room by myself, but. Uh, I was really impressed by that. That and what you said, Andreas, about him trying to, you know, frame the current situation and to keep his morale high, uh, even though the goals aren't coming, he's still put, going out there, giving it his all, playing with a lot of confidence. Uh, you know, I have a lot of respect for that. I give him a lot of credit for that because it 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 is very. It would have been very easy for him to fall into the trap that. You know, we saw with Murata where it just got so much into his head that he was never able to break out of it. And 
uh, you know, credit to Timo for being able to take, you know, obviously he's very hard on, he's probably sure he's very hard on himself. So that plus all of the external criticism from every single fan clowning on him, uh, you know, even his own fans. So, uh, yeah, big credit to him. Uh, I really have a lot of respect for that. So let's move on. Uh, you did mention the Rudiger own goal. Um, and there was a very, very uh, hot and cold performance because if it weren't for the own goal, uh, no one – I mean, everyone will be talking about how wonderful of a performance Rudiger had. I mean, he even saved a goal. Uh, he, had a, he had a goal line save off a corner. Uh, yeah. and so, and he, you know, he put his body on the line multiple times to stop. Not just, not just any goal line save. It was a ridiculous right. header. Diving backwards. Like, yeah, it was multiple times. He put his body on the line to save a goal really. Um, and, uh, the same, you know, the same thing I just said about Werner, I have to say the same about Rudiger. It was, it would have been very easy for him after that own goal to just, you know, fall victim to just that mindset of, oh man, I really fucked up. What am I going to do? Like, you know, and he's, he's really lucky obviously that, you know, two minutes later we got that penalty, but, uh, and you know, I don't know, like if I, I don't, I, I don't want to excuse what he did based on the fact that we won, you know, because, you know, we get the three points, but at the same time, I thought he, he played really well, uh, but let's talk about that own goal first before we talk about Rudiger's performance as a whole because uh, we had a Twitter question from one of our favorite fans uh, at Russell Saunders. Uh, he asked, who was at fault for the goal that uh, we scored for them? And he added for a bit of context how Chilwell was keeping whoever the last, uh, the, the, the furthest, player for Sheffield was onside when Rudiger was trying to play him off. Um, and after receiving the ball is when he passed it backwards uh, to the keeper. So in my opinion that, you know, that justification, I really don't understand what point Russell is trying to make by showing that screenshot. Cause in my opinion, it is, that was, you know, a lack of communication and that probably falls on Rudiger like a hundred percent, if if not you know ninety five percent, whatever, you know maybe Mendy and him were equally at fault. But it, it, if if you're kicking the ball, it, that's just the problem with 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 this play style with these center backs because we play out of the back a lot, and it really makes me nervous. I I don't I don't have a hundred percent trust for on you know in Andreas Christensen and. Uh, and uh, Rudiger to, you know, make the right decision every time to be calm on the ball. Uh, and, you know, I was really, I, I actually was just saying how, how nervous it's making me that they're playing the ball on the back. Uh, and then five minutes later, there was, uh, there was the own goal. But Andreas, wh what did you make of it? Do you think that there's any fall to be put on, uh, on Chilwell, or was that just? Nah, not Chilwell. I mean, oh, I, I'd say the... I, I say it's Bendy and Rudiger, and and that's it because 
Yes, Chilwell kept the guy onside for a little bit, but Rudiger didn't even see that guy. I, I mean, his head, the guy is completely behind him. Rudiger never saw the guy that was on Chilwell, <laughs> and Chilwell stayed with the guy, be, like, goal side. So say what you want about that, but the ball, you're right. <laughs> it's just no, you're one right. of those things where Mendy is is off his line at the same time that Rudiger decides to turn around. So it's tough. I mean, it was a bad, it was a bad pass by Rudiger because it was by the post, not where Mendy was. So there's that, but also Mendy needs to be screaming at the top of his lungs if he's coming out. And, and it's not the first time that a defender and Mendy don't talk correctly. Like we've seen Chilwell and him both kind of run at the ball and then both stop then then have to react. So this seems to be an issue in Mendy's game. I don't know if his English is still not there or if maybe he's just not very vocal. So the more I watch it, the less fault I want to give Rudiger, but I still think it's between him and Mendy. It's on Rudy. I mean, if if you're going to pass it back to your goalkeeper inside the 18-yard box, you better make damn sure, one, it's not on frame which is something that, as a center back myself, your coaches beat to death. Uh, when you're playing the ball out of the back, never play the ball on goal. The, so a part of that could be attributed to Mendy, maybe not checking out. I, I get it. It's in a tight space and, and things are last minute. But 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 for me, that's, that's completely on Rudiger. You got to know where your keeper is. And in a situation like that, if you're, if you, if you're not 110% sure that your keeper is there, you got to clear the ball. Just clear your lines. Let your team come back. Get all 11 guys or 10 guys behind the ball again. And then, you know, urea. I mean, when, when we had players behind the ball against Sheffield, we defended so well. Um, and it, obviously, once we got a grip, I'm, I'm not talking about the first five or 10 minutes. But especially in the second half, when, when Sheffield got on the ball, we defended well, especially when we got guys behind it. So. Yeah, I'm not buying any of, you know, it's Chilwell's fault. Um, regardless, you got to play to the whistle. So, you know, just that argument alone kind of shuts out the, the whole Chilwell, you know, keeping him onside argument. But if you're Rudiger, you got to know your keeper's there. And if you're going to pass it back to him, you know, it, it, there's so many factors. Passing to your keeper in the 18, passing it on frame, the com- lack of communication, Chilwell playing the guy onside. But ultimately, Rudiger is the guy who decided to swing his foot through the ball and into the goal. So, you know, it's his fault. But I do want to say, as a whole, you know, between the Tottenham game and this game, Rudiger is actually coming into his own. And, and we're seeing some flashbacks of, of, of what he gave us uh, under Antonio Conte, where he was actually a very reliable defender and a stalwart on, in the back three. So I expect him to stay there. I expect him to keep his spot. And yes... I don't necessarily trust him 100% when he has the ball at his at his feet. I think sometimes his long balls are are more often than not off target. Um, but every now and then, you know, he, he puts in a performance like this. And now this is two in a row um, where generally they're good performances. Um, so, you know, credit to him for bouncing back. A lot of players probably would have shriveled up and just completely collapsed. Um, but he did it. I mean, we, we, we saw it with Bednarek in Southampton. He, he scored an own goal, and then, what, like 10 minutes later, he got a red card. Mm-hmm. So for, you know, Rudy to bounce back like this just kind of shows you the different, you know, class of player that he is. 
and yeah, I personally think that Russell's taking the piss. He's he, he does so. he does he doesn't believe. <laughs> Russell's a smart guy. I think he was. <laughs> I think couldn't figure it out. I I couldn't figure it out. Like what? What? How do? How does Chilwell being too deep? I mean, he would have been offsides. I mean, what that? No, that's not. That has nothing to do with it. It was. It was. Yeah, I don't even have to say anything else. Uh, let's talk about just Rudiger and Christensen together. Let's let's uh, um, what's the word I'm thinking of? Uh, put them together. You know, where to consolidate. Let's consolidate the conversation about them because, uh, you know, Tiago isn't going to be there every match. Um, so, you know, when Tuchel wants to play with three. In the back, we'll see Christensen more and Rudiger as well. Um, but uh, I, I thought Rudiger, on one hand, played exceptionally well beyond that uh, own goal. I think that Christensen played kind of like a neutral match. He he didn't do anything that stood out that was poor. But um, I don't know. I, I just think I'm I'm starting to grow a little bit more comfortable with him back there. Um, Zach, what, what what do you think of 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 both of their performances? I mean, again, as a center back, for for you to not be noticeable in the game is probably a compliment. That means that you didn't fuck up or make any any mistakes, right? If Christensen gave away a couple bad passes or gave away a goal like Rudiger, we'd remember. Um, but in a game like this, I can't really remember him putting a foot wrong. Um, you know, he was an incredible player in a back three. Um, now I know people are going to jump on me and say, well, the back three is also what broke him. Um, you know, that match against Barcelona is still etched into everyone's minds, I think, but for him, I think this is important. Um, and you know, whenever we do deploy a back three, it is going to be one of the options on Tuchel's plate, uh, you know, throughout the rest of the season. And Christensen's going to be available for a lot of those games because Thiago Silva is not going to play all those games. So I think this is a guy we're going to see um, more than we would probably want to. I think a lot of Chelsea fans would say me personally as well. Um, but in the middle of a back three, I mean, he's, he's solid and he's definitely serviceable and, you know, to be fair to him, um, you know, a, a bad stint under Frank, obviously the Barcelona game broke him. So, you know, he really didn't have any sort of, career uh under sorry in and out of the team maybe this is a chance for for him to get his sort of redemption um a lot of people won't like for me to say that but i know andres won't um but this is a good opportunity for him to kind of restake his claim into rotation here's the thing (laughs) we are so overloaded with center backs and again talking about sheffield christensen was great Rudiger reinvigorated under this new manager. And even during Frank, he was starting and he was playing well. I'm still waiting because under Conte, he started off great. One mistake, and then it's back to square one with Christensen. I tried to hold my tongue last time when it was just you and me, and we were trying to talk about whether Tuchel can, can get the best out of Christensen. And here's the thing. The best thing Tuchel can get out of Christensen is increasing his value to the point where a Bundesliga will pay, team will pay $40 million for him. Period. We 40 are looking at center back. What's that? 
I said forty mils. I mean that that's that's. I think 40 mil is kind of steep now, yeah. yeah I think like okay, two years right. ago, COVID. maybe. Excuse me, COVID. You're yeah, right. Yeah. Christensen yeah. is young, and still, he's still young. So that's why I was thinking that number. Maybe maybe we get something like 30. The point is, like, the guy's 24 years old. He's an international. He's got success in leagues elsewhere. And we're still targeting center backs. If you told me that Chelsea was content with center backs – then I'd say, yeah, you're right. We see the value of Christensen. But the point is, we have Thiago Silva, Rudiger, Zuma. Now with a back three, you can count Aspie, Christensen. Tomori's still our player, even though he has an option to be bought by AC Milan. I'm at six right now. Malang Sar is supposed to come back from Porto. That's seven. And then you have uh, Mark Gahey coming back from loan, who could, who could potentially... Uh, catch Tuchel's eye during the summer, that's eight center backs. Eight center backs for a team that probably needs just four. Christensen's long-term future is not here, so I'm not going to start falling for a, a nice little purple patch of form to make me think that he's suddenly going to be here long-term because Thiago Silva's getting an extension. There's one slot. Thiago Silva's not going anywhere. Rudiger under Tuchel's probably staying. We don't know. Well, uh, I'll put a pause on that one because we haven't seen Zuma yet because he just got hurt. So Zuma and, and Rudiger are fighting for spot number two because who knows who this center back target is for the summer who could jump both of them in the pecking order. Maling Sar has got a lone, lone army look to him. He may never even make it here. So my point is Christensen's long-term future is not here. If we can continue to make him look great, that's going to be a win-win. He gets to go somewhere where he plays, and we get to cash in. Because i rather give the minutes that Christensen could get as a fourth choice to Mark Gahey and let Mark Gahey make the oddball mistake that Christensen has in his pockets usually than keep forcing Christensen down our throats. That's all. I think he did fantastic. I think he's going to be a great understudy in a back three to Thiago Silva because he does feel way more comfortable there. But... He was up against physical forwards, yes, but they are the worst team in the Premier League's forwards. This wasn't a Sergio Aguero. This wasn't a Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang. This wasn't a Harry Kane. So I'm not going to hype him up to be suddenly the best defender in this club when I don't even think he's got a future at this club. Yeah, I, I, I think with given just how many center backs we have uh... – the future of Andreas Christensen is definitely in question. All right, let, let's 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 uh, wrap up talking about Hakim Ziyech because you know he's he's uh, self-proclaimed healthy right now. Uh, last match he was rested, and then this match again. I mean, what what what? I don't understand what the excuse is right now. Um, it's 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 a bit worrying to be honest. Uh, you know, we got a Twitter question from at Michael Conan. He asked, Chilwell subbed for Alonso, no Ziyech again. Is this a signal that their Chelsea careers are in jeopardy? Or are they victims of a possibly temporary system until Tuchel can fully implement whatever he may be planning? Um, that That's an interesting thought because, you know, he did come in and implement the 3-4-3. And we have talked about this numerous times how... He is not uh, married to any one formation. He changes it a lot. And, you know, coming in through midseason, he's not going to really have the time to uh, 
you know, uh, train with the club and implement a new system besides the one. And it's, 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 it's probably best for him and it's, he's making the right decision to build on what he has done so far with the three, four, three. Um, but, um, I mean, I, I could see Ziyech playing, uh, in a three, four, three, similar kind of similar role to what, uh, what Werner was doing, but on the right side where he is, he can play wide, but he can also cut in in the middle. And I mean, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't dare put him as a wing back. Uh, I don't think he has what it takes to track back and play defense. That's not his play style. And I wouldn't really want him as one of the two midfielders in a double pivot, to be completely honest. Uh, and I don't want him as a striker. So um, I think the only position for him would be to play on the wing. Um, and that's obviously, you know, something that he does a lot. So, uh, you know, but with this formation, the wing is a lot more narrow and the wing back is the really the player who's who's playing out wide. So I'm not quite sure what the reasoning behind uh, Ziyech's absence has been, but I'd like to see him out there because we're lacking a lot of creativity. Uh, Andreas, will, are you worried as well, or am I alone here? Uh, I'm slightly worried. I think maybe his defensive work rate is something that Tuchel is working with him in practice to to get to to kind of a satisfactory level. And maybe Tuchel right now sees him more of a, as a luxurious player because on offense he's great, but on defense he might not do – maybe he's not as good as he would want him to be at maybe pressing the way he likes to press with that front three. Yes, he was pressing under Frank, but – uh, that was a very unorganized press. I think too. I think we we needed a player like Ziyech this, in this match because he does have that ability to thread the needle and find that pass that nobody else sees. And and we talk about players like Werner needing goals. Well, the easiest way to do that is to put a player like Ziyech beside them. Uh, I think the formation is definitely a reason why we don't see him because we're playing with an extra defender technically by playing a back three, which in reality can sometimes be a back five because you're not going to play Ziyech as a wing back. That's never going to happen. And right now, because of the double pivot that, that included, that usually is going to include Kovacic plus Conte. And for some reason, Tuchel doesn't want to put Mount back there. You are only allowed to have one spot for Ziyech. So Ziyech is fighting the likes of Werner, Pulisic, Cho, who are all, playing or have been playing because he just got hurt around when Tuchel get, got here. So I think it's just maybe a little bit of recency bias based on who's playing well, plus this formation that requires an extra defender on the pitch. If we switch to a 4-3-3 or 4-2-3-1, you can still have Mason Mount as a midfielder and Ziyech on top of that and Werner and Pulisic. So yeah, until we see a change in formation, or a little bit of more time for Ziyech to understand the new sort of defensive instructions, it, it, we might have to wait a little bit to see him consistently get picked. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree. I mean, I, I think he's he's sort of the consequence of us um, playing with so many defenders. So, that you know, obviously there has to be a casualty. One player misses out. 
Um, and unfortunately, it's Ziyech in this situation. And, you know, it's, it's not only a matter of us playing with, you know, an extra defender. It's, it's the reemergence of Cho in the team, too, as well. Um, another player that occupies the same wing, uh, that plays a similar position, but has done so well since Tuchel came in. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think that's just something else that, that we should be pointing out as well. And, you know, I don't think there's um, a reluctance on Tuchel's part to play Ziyech. I, I, I don't think it's a matter of Tuchel not liking what Ziyech has to offer. I think all of that is ludicrous. I think, um, you know, when you look at when we've played him this season uh, or when Frank has played him, um, it's always seemed to kind of, we've always seemed to kind of rush him back. So I know he's had this nagging knee injury for a while. Um, every time he goes off on international duty, he's always, you know, taking extra precaution with it. It's always taped up. It's been taped up since the beginning of the season. So I've been reading that there, that the knee injury has something to do with it. Um, that, they're not necessarily in a rush to put him back into the side um, until they know uh, or until they feel comfortable enough doing so. Um, and that, you know, Tuchel looked at his injury situation and kind of assessed it and saw that um, maybe we rushed him back a little too soon. That's what I've been seeing. If that's the case, um, I think that's probably the more logical decision. Um, you know, and, 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 you know, if he still has that injury and if that injury is prohibiting him from getting into the side that's definitely the reason for him not playing it, it, it you know it, Tuchel's gonna have great ideas for Ziyech the guy has so much to offer in terms of his range of passing he gives us that deep ball threat he always talks about us missing a long ball and us always missing the runners Ziyech has that ability so for anybody to say that Tuchel doesn't have plans for him that's not the case um, I do think it has to do a lot with the injury because from what I've been seeing, it seems to be one that's nagging and just doesn't want to go away. So maybe a long layoff would be better. Uh, yeah, I, I, I just want to see him out there. It's, it's been too long. I, he's, I, he's been the one player that I called like six months before we signed him saying I would love to have him on our team. And now that we have him, I'm not, I haven't been able, like, he, we haven't had that Ziyech moment, really, or a, a match where he did something that was so magical. I mean, like, maybe he has a, he's had a couple great long balls here and there, but I, I, we haven't been able to, he hasn't been able to play consistently enough to really uh, get his form up. So, let's hope so, he gets Sam, I want to mention, I want to mention one more thing, too. Yeah. Um. The fact that Mason Mount is playing as well as he is is also a contributing factor as well. And if it's not a contributing factor now, um, then it's going to be in the future. Because like Andres said earlier, he, he he's undroppable at this point. You can't not play him. Um, so Ziyech in like an inside forward slash or like what Werner said, sort of like a left 10 or Ziyech in his case would be like a right 10. That fits his skill set perfectly. But Mason Mount's just playing so well at the moment that even if Ziyech is healthy, I still don't think he would be getting, you know, a start over Mount if he's available, you know? Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, I just – I would I would prefer it if Jorginho uh, took a seat every once in a while and we got Mason <laughs> Mount and Kovacic as a double pivot, and then we can have Ziyech play wing. If we had a nickel for every time we heard that. Yeah. <laughs> 
Just, I mean, he doesn't have to play every, the full 90 of every match. I mean, is that, I hope that's not what's going to happen. Uh, I mean, that's what it looks like so far. So let's go to our Twitter questions. Uh, this first one is from Kirill's Medvedev. Uh, shout out to Latavia. Um, he says, for all his faults. Latavia. <laughs> Latavia. <laughs> you know. What? Uh, isn't. No, Kirill's is not from Latvia. Latvia. Oh, I know, but the joke. I know, but that's the joke. You, the the oh, the video oh, oh. when when oh, Tingus Pingus when Tingus Pingus is drafted. <laughs> this, this, you drafted this asshole Jesus. from Latavia. Come on, that's the joke. I'm I'm not. I'm I'm it's very a, a... culturally aware. Okay, believe me. Um, so he <laughs> I says. I just don't know if everyone saw that video, so it was really confusing. <laughs> Okay, so if anyone hasn't seen the video, thanks for clarifying, Andreas. Look it up. Um, I'm not ignorant. So shout out to Latavia. He says, for all of his faults, Frank saved slash earned the club ridiculous money by promoting young players. Watching Mason makes me wonder if we needed to buy Kai. What do you think? Oh, uh, well, I mean, I don't know. What, I don't know if, you know, saved or earned the club ridic ridiculous money. If he if he earned the club money, that's that's by saying that we're going to be selling off Mason Mount or Tammy or you know one of these players that he helped develop. Um, and I don't like that idea. I I don't I don't I I can't even imagine a situation where Ch Chelsea will would sell off a player like Mason Mount. But you know, saying watching Mason makes me wonder if we needed to buy Kai, then. Frank didn't save us any money either, so um, I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna say no to both saving and earning the club money. Um, so I, I, what did you what did you guys think of what he said? I could. I, oh, you, you go first, Andres. Yeah, I Sorry. was gonna say. I mean, we we saved some money because we didn't have to buy an extra right back. We didn't have to buy an extra center or box to box midfielder we didn't have to buy an extra striker so i'll, I'll give him that and and a winger because cho stayed as well but i uh, mean i think that we're not seeing kai two reasons one or the kai that we're supposed to be see one he had covid and he was gone and he's been recovering from that and then two we now know that frank lampard wasn't really giving anybody much instruction and you can't just come into the premier league after going from the Bundesliga, which is honestly lacking in defensive skill, to to scoring 30 goals here. like That just doesn't happen. It's very rare. So I'm not going to judge Kai until, one, he's healthy, and two, gets a run of games under a manager that's actually going to try to guide him into success. So I think that Kai's potential is, is further down the line anyway. I think he's a long-term investment. The guy's a couple years younger than Mount. And and the other thing with Mason Mount, he's a fantastic player. I still think his future is more in the box-to-box -box role. I think that he's and, – and again, this is the one thing. He's got a good shot. His weak foot is all right. But he struggles with finding that last creative pass to, to get the assists. And and I don't know if I, – I, I think that just comes with age. And I think that's one thing that Kai Havertz does have. So again, I think it's it's just two different style players. If we don't have Mount right now, we probably also don't have as much defensive uh, solidity. So it's just 
it's one of those things where you're comparing apples to oranges. I think Mount's great. I think that long-term Mount's also going to be here. Like Psalm said, I cannot see a future where he's not here. But I think it's too soon to determine if if buying Kai Havertz was a mistake. And way, 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 way too soon, man. Are we really? <laughs> we're not. not uh, yeah, we're we're not there yet. Um, to be fair to Kai, yeah, COVID, the injuries, new league. He is a young player coming here on his own. Um. And we also don't talk about this enough, guys. What about the fact that there has been no fan interaction for him or any of our new signings? We haven't had the chance to show them how much we're excited to have them. And, you know, when they were playing well in the beginning of the season, I'm thinking more of Timo, too. We didn't really get the chance to show that appreciation or that acknowledgement that they were playing well. We didn't get to celebrate timo's early goals or kai's hat trick Uh, we didn't get to clap clap him off the field after winning a penalty none of that happened so you know for us to kind of expect like especially kai havertz i think with timo doesn't you know he's a little more experienced but with kai havertz you got to give the guy time and if you're looking at it historically go look at all of his seasons at uh, leverkusen or uh, look at his past two seasons at leverkusen and historically he ups his game in the second half of the season. You see a huge rise in his goals and assists production in the second half of those seasons. So I'm not saying that's going to happen with us this year. That's just the statistical trend that he's shown recently. But you also combine that with his youth and you know all the other circumstances. He had COVID and it did affect him. I, I refuse to believe that it didn't. Um, you know, we got to give the guy a chance. And I've been saying this since the beginning of the season. We have to temper our expectations with him specifically because if we think we're going to get the best out of him this year, we're deluded. Um, The best of Kai Havertz is next season and the season after. This is a guy we bought for the future. We bought him for 70 million, expecting him to turn into a 170 million or 200 million pound player one day. So, um, you know, there's a lot of teams that would love to have him if we didn't. Uh, so I'm not really buying, you know, the, you know, did we really need Kai Havertz debate? It's more a thing of he was available at that kind of price. If it works out, the payoff is extraordinary. You know, we can have a a, a top five or, you know, some people say a a possible Ballon d'Or candidate. I think that's a little bit of a stretch. But I think we have like a, a you know a top ten, top fifteen world talent potentially on our hands. So young, it's so early to say so anything about him. Yeah. I still believe. I I, I still love Kirill's mm-hmm. though. I'm sorry, yeah. I didn't mean to like roast the question. No, of course not. And we love we love Latavia as well, right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> All right. This next question is from. Uh, Tom Ashdown, he's the one that I, I uh, made him make a Twitter. So welcome to Twitter again. Uh, he said, despite Sheffield United being bottom of the league, this was a hugely difficult match. I wonder what you guys think of Mount's, quote, end product now. The guy didn't give the ball away for 90 minutes. He dragged us to three points. And according to my buddies, he still doesn't, quote, do enough. Oh, two, two weeks in a row... You're asking a Mason Mount 
question. Why don't Americans like Mason Mount question? It's, uh, it's, it's, it's I hope you ask this question every podcast so I can give the same answer. Cause I, I will, I will, I will die by this belief that Mason Mount, I mean, it, it this, me and, me and our mutual friend, Bobby, like just totally agree on this one topic. We just keep on ranting about it. And the fact that he is an amazing midfielder. He is a phenomenal midfielder. And, ev- and and the reason why, you know, me, Zach, and Andreas, we all love him is because at, at minimum, Mason Mount plays, you know, a 7 out of 10 rating match at minimum. And he does, you know, perform higher than that very often. And, you know, he, he scores a goal. You know, in, in the I said earlier, in the position that he's in, he's in a midfielder's role uh, or location. Uh, and, you know, I'm shocked <laughs> To be completely honest, he hit it with his left, got it on target. Um, you know, I think when he's more focused about getting the ball on target rather than blasting a rocket, um, he can make a finish like that. And it was it was an amazing finish. Great pass by Timo Werner. Um, and, you know, this is the kind of stuff that I we want to see more of from Mason Mount. But, you know, that that's just not – he's not creative enough to be the guy uh, playing on the wing. He just isn't at the end of the day. And it's not, it's not a slight on him. You know, there's, there's a lot of, there's, you know, there's, there's some of the top players in the world. Uh, I wouldn't play on the wing cause they're not creative enough, but I'm not, you know, saying that they're a poor soccer player or anything like that. It's just, it's just, you guys know what I'm saying, right? Obviously like it's, it's just the, the role that he is best at, he exceeds in. And then when he plays anything else beyond his role, like that's not that's not an unfair criticism to say that I want Mason Mount to be played in his best position so I can see the you know his best performance, right, Zach? Is he is he there? Uh, yeah, yeah, I am. <laughs> um, I'm spot I on. Ag- I think I I agree with you. In the sense that he is an incredible midfielder, and that's where he should be playing. And to be fair, I think Tuchel has found a way to put him in that to, to to sort of line him up on that front three on paper. But if you're actually watching the match, he's sort of playing this free role just underneath uh, Werner and Giroud. Like I know uh, Werner had the license to roam as well, but typically Werner was much higher up the pitch than Mount was. And Mount was also dropping defensively to cover Jorginho because Tuchel likes to have that balance. So starting Mount makes sense. He's playing too well for you to drop him. Um, I don't buy the fact that the guy's not creative enough because if you look at how many chances he's created, he's up there with the best of them. I think the I, I think there's obviously Grealish probably is, is is way ahead of him, but I know Mason Mount is in the top five uh, for chances created. Now, you can say, oh, well, he plays every game. Uh, Yeah, that's true. But he also does have an eye for picking out a pass. He does take a shot at goal. I think the the right criticism for him is the end product. I think we need to see a little bit more um, consistency uh, from him. He has the talent to be that 10-goal, 10-assist player a season. I actually don't think that's out of reach for him. Technically, he's brilliant. 
His engine is ridiculous. The guy never stops running. And he could play multiple positions. So that means he's going to be playing a lot more matches, which we have seen. Those are all proven things. Um, now what we want to see is more of that. I want to see more of those left-footed shots into the corner. I want to see I want to see more goals. I want to see more assists. Um, I think that's the only part of his game that's um, that's sort of I don't even want to say lacking because that's that's being too harsh on him. That's the one part of his game that needs uh, the most development, I guess you can say. Um, but in terms of everything else, the guy has just been so ridiculous for us. Now, I I I, I want to be on record saying this. I'm not criticizing Mason Mount. He's probably my favorite player in this Chelsea team at the moment. Um, so, so me saying all this is really, really nitpicking the little things. I'm not so fussed about the fact that he doesn't score as many goals as we'd like now as, um, as, as some other people are. I think that's still going to come. The guy's still really young and technically he knows how to hit a ball as well. So, you know, it's just a matter of him getting that composure down, um, and timing down. Once he has those two things, I mean, easily, easily, you got a 10- 10 uh 10 goal 10 assist midfielder every single season yeah man he knows how to hit the ball right on the valve top in you know just like Ronaldo. <laughs> yeah, i love that i love that no he's he but technically i mean it doesn't this is i i think the frustrating thing with him and and the source of the frustration is that we see how well he takes his free kicks and corners set pieces he's we know how he hits the ball he knows how to wrap his foot around the ball 10 different ways so you you just kind of think like well why can't he score more goals it's the same argument with Kovacic you're so technically brilliant how come you can't put the ball on frame um oh, they're on they're com that's a completely different completely different galaxy yeah. like as far as not being know, able to score though. in terms of in terms of capabilities it's <laughs> yeah. completely different but yeah the dilemma is much the same like those are two guys that have all the technical ability in the world um Kovacic can't even hit the target, but Mount just can't hit the back of the net. I guess that's a difference. Mm -hmm. um, so let's go on to the last question. This one is from Ron, a.k.a. Bone Daddy Cool, a.k.a. Bone Daddy Deluxe, a.k.a. Bone Daddy Supreme. He asks, uh, four games and only three non-penalty goals. Should we be worried? Um, I'm just going to say just – you know, really quickly, he's in, he's as straightforward as possible. We're just not finishing our chances. We got to work on our finishing product, and uh, that's it, it. It concerns me a little bit, but I think a little bit has to do with bad luck, um, and you know, just we're creating the chances, just not putting them away. And we, I don't know. I said I would answer that quickly, but that wasn't that quick. Zach, <laughs> what do you think? I am not worried. Um, I think we've gotten this far uh, with misfiring strikers, injured wingers, manager changes, all these different circumstances, playing twice a week for the last three months on the spin. Um, I'm, I'm not worried, um, especially when you consider that Ziyech has been out, who's going to be um, expected to be at least one of our most creative players, if not our most creative player, Kai Havertz. Uh, if Ziyech isn't our most creative player, Kai Havertz needs to be our most creative player. And then also Pulisic, who hasn't been starting these games, um, you know, who 
can be our most creative player too. Like those three guys are probably our 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 three highest assisters, I guess you could say, in the team. Um and then they haven't been anywhere to be seen. And we've still been creating these chances. And I think much like Psalm said, we just can't we just can't score. Um, that's something that needs to be worked on. But I think ultimately when those guys come back uh, and we get a little bit of chemistry, obviously, um, as the games go on, we're going to start scoring. Andres, I, I feel like we're on the verge of just a total explosion, like a goal explosion. <laughs> Yeah, we, we keep saying that. And honestly, I really don't care that they're non-penalty goals or whatever because you asked a manager to take over midseason and he picked up 10 out of 12 points. And honestly, that's all that matters. We are one point away from top four. We can yeah. win on penalties for the rest of the season. We <laughs> can play ugly ass offensive football for the rest of the season but if this man gets us to the top four glory to thomas tuchel like i honestly like you said zach we're not scoring our strikers aren't scoring but then our fullbacks are scoring sometimes our center backs score from set pieces sometimes jesus i, I take that i was about to say Kovacic will score i'll take that back i'm not gonna say that <laughs> he, he will score is, he will score by the end of the season i promise you that I guarantee yeah, sure. a goal. It'll it'll deflect off of three defenders on the path to the goal. Yeah, but if if you'll take if you're happy with winning by penalties, you'll be happy with uh, Kovacic scoring like that. <laughs> yeah, I would. But uh, my my point is like Tuchel right now is is putting together just results. The the way in which we get those results will come later. I don't think anyone's going to complain about how we played this season when he had to come and just take things on the bounce. Now, if you tell me that next season we still have this issue or two months from now we still have this issue, then I'd be like, damn, what the hell? Like, everyone's healthy, everyone's playing. Why is this happening? But has he been here? He's been here, what, a little bit over a week? I don't even think it's been two weeks, two full weeks yet. <laughs> That's my point. The guy came in for the most. <laughs> the guy has come in for the most like condensed part of the schedule, which is usually Christmas, but it got pushed back because we started the season later due to COVID. We've played a lot of games already under him, which which have been like three days apart. So again, he's not getting that much time on the pit on on the training pitch with these guys. I, I mentioned this last podcast, and I'll say it again. Let this guy have time to to implement his X's and O's offensively, and let him be have the pieces to do it. Because again, Cho was rested this time around. Pulisic had a family issue. Kai Havertz has been out. We <laughs> Ziyech may not be up to to speed yet. So again, I don't think we've seen the best eleven for Tuchel yet together. Like we've seen pieces here, pieces there, but. I don't even know if he knows what his best 11 is yet. And until we get to to that point where we know that everyone knows what's expected of them, when we know that, you know, Cho is going to be always as right wing back or left wing back or that he'll only play winger, you know, th- things like this will, will eventually tell us how we'll create those chances and such. But yeah, I, I really don't care that right now. Uh, only three non-penalty goals. At least we're getting 
penalties awarded to us because we're getting to those positions. So look at it that way. I'm I'm disappointed in us that it took an hour and 20 minutes for us to bring up the fact that we're one point out of fourth place. Like we're literally one point behind Liverpool for a spot in Champions League next year. So, I mean, like, you know, City, I think at this point, looks and like they're Liverpool running away with Lester it. Leicester this week. Yeah, right. Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, if if we don't if we don't jump them this week, that's not what I'm concerned about. It's just the fact that we are able to make it a manageable gap, and now it's just like you know, like it 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 really comes down to us playing good football at the end of the season. But I mean, it looks like at this point, obviously, like you know, the Premier League title that's that's out of question. I think at this point, I think City is probably about to run away with it in the next couple of weeks. Uh, but but Tuchel still has a chance at winning some silverware with the FA Cup. Uh, and we have our round five draw against uh, Barnsley on, was it Wednesday, Thursday? Thursday. Thursday. On Thursday. And, um, you know, this should be a very interesting match. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not entirely sure how Tuchel is going to take it as far as, um, you know, is this the opportunity to experiment and try different things out? I think that's probably more likely um, the chance, uh, you know, we might see a Kai Havertz uh, um, appearance. He did have a hat trick last time out in the FA Cup. So uh, that I'm interested to see that. Um, a, a small note for the American listeners, uh, Daryl DK. He is uh, an American forward from uh, on loan from where is it Orlando City. Um, he was supposed to make his debut uh, for for Barnsley. I think I, I think it was against uh, it was against Derby, and that game got postponed. So this match might actually be his debut. I wouldn't be surprised to see him start. Um, so that's something to keep an That'd eye on. Nice. Yeah, you know, two nice, Americans starting. Yeah, six two two twenty forward. He's he's big. Um, so I don't, I don't know much about him. I, I, but fun fact, we have the same birthday. He's, uh, he's, he's one of those physically. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's what you're saying. (laughs) No, 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 no. I was going to say like, nobody's really seen much of him, but, but, but he's, he's supposed to be a, 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 a physical like monster. Eight, eight goals in 22 I mean, matches last year with Orlando City. I know, but but if it, you you need to if if you're list if you're still listening by now, I urge you to go Google a picture. Um, he's huge, like he's fucking huge. I'm excited. Christensen, <laughs> Christensen will shit himself. We'll just put it that way. <laughs> so who do you guys want to see play, Zach? Besides besides Daryl DK. Who do you want to see play? Uh, I want to see Billy Gilmore. Um, maybe even Tino Andrian. Um, I and maybe not for a start, but I know Tuchel has already, you know, been pretty adamant during the transfer window at least that he wanted to keep those guys because he liked what he saw. So I'd like to see them. I think Gilmore would probably be the one to feature more than likely. Um. So maybe where Tuchel decides to put him would be the interesting thing. Um, does he trust him in a midfield pivot? 
Um, or does he just completely change up the formation and, and, and try something new? Maybe they've been working on something at training, maybe making a switch to four at the back. Um, those are some of the things to look out for. Uh, Andres, I mean, I know Billy Gilmore is probably a, a big one on your list, but is there anything yeah. else that kind of stands out? Kai Havertz. I want to see yeah. Havertz get a full 90, if that's possible. And then uh, Kurt Zuma. I hope they're both back. I think our best back three still includes Kurt Zuma, both defensively and offensively, just because we miss him in set pieces. So those two are the big ones for me. I'm honestly not as fussed if, if Andrew gets time or not, because I think it's just a good chance for someone like Ziyech to get minutes in the front three, someone like Pulisic to get his form back after missing a random game, uh, Tammy getting some goals with teammates that he'll actually play with. So I, I honestly don't want this to be all Academy kids. I want this to be part of the like vital players for the squad because We've seen that Tuchel is, even studies how many games in a row a player goes through to give them a break. So, you know, the, the fact that we have a large roster, which was a big issue for Frank, is now a blessing in disguise for Tuchel. Uh, and, and honestly, for Chelsea overall, because, yes, we're winning our games, but part of the reason other teams are dropping is that everybody's getting hit with injuries. And even us are missing players with it because of injury, and we're still fielding strong a strong side so again i hope it's those guys that have featured already throughout the season that get their run in under tuchel and hopefully succeed in in his approach to the game and and just a note um brentford i'm sorry barnsley they are uh in the last round they advance by beating uh i think it was norwich norwich city and uh or i don't know was Norwich and Norwich City knows the same thing? Uh, yeah, <laughs> I just wanted to make sure. Uh, you know, champ championship le- uh, table leaders currently. So uh, you know, I mean, that's that's a bit of a joke, but still, um, I, I I think that it's not the right match to you know play the youth and test people out and stuff like that. I think it's it, it definitely is something that Tuchel needs to like guarantee a win in for first of all and second of all i think that trying to test out things that uh we are going to implement for the rest of the season this year you know not to test out to see whether you know tino andrin can be a part of the club in you know the next season you know i'm, I'm not worried about that like andreas said um so let's let's i mean what We'll finish off on this. What are your guys' predictions as far as a score goes? I think, uh, I mean, clean sheet is my first prediction and as far as how many goals we score. I don't know. I think we're, let's go four goals with Kai Havertz getting a hat trick. Like <laughs> that. Another hat trick. Hmm. It's not a question, I- Zach. No, it's not a trick question. Um, I I almost want to see two Americans score. Is that a bad thing? Yeah, that's a bad thing. I'm going to go 4-0 no, Chelsea. That's okay. 4-0 Chelsea. No, I, I, I don't want to assume we're going to get scored on. We've kept – so the only pers- the only people that could score on us is ourselves. Am I right, guys? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right, Andres. 
fuck uh, you, Sub. <laughs> I really hope it's I really hope it's at least three goals, guys. I it's time to, to put some goals in the back of the net. I thought the chance was there against Tottenham. Sheffield was a different story. I think two goals was was more than that game probably expected out of us. But it's time to put a bunch of goals in the back of the net. I mean, City scoring for fun, United scoring for fun. We need to we need to join the join the club and, and make these other big teams be afraid of Tuchel's Chelsea. I would love That's for Tammy to get club. in on some of the goal scoring action. Especially under well, Tuchel. Let's do it. I think it'd be so be fine. Score, we're gonna I think like a four three three uh, something variant. Like we're, I want to see something other than a three-four-three three because I think this is where he, he will be able to test it out. Uh, I mean, like, I, I, I always come across as like a three-four-three three hater, but it's just that he doesn't have enough time to implement the other formations and do what he does best by matching, you know, or picking formations in place. You know what we're gonna do that day based on the matchup. And he's not really able to do that right now. So, you know, I'm not I'm not a three four three hater. It so far has looked good, but let's see. Let's get a little bit of a uh, experimentation going on, too cool. Yeah. Well, I mean, until Thursday, guys, we have four whole days without a game. So um if you're not doing so already, make sure you're following us on Twitter at Romans Empire Pod. Um you can also follow us on Instagram. The handle is exactly the same. Uh, we've also gotten a couple emails, guys. Make sure you reach out to us. Let us know how you became Chelsea fans. We'll include you guys on the pod, shout you out. Um, we love learning about our listeners um, and interacting with them. It's, it's a lot of fun for us. So um, if you want to, reach out, RomansEmpirePod at gmail.com. And until next podcast, keep the blue flag flying high. <laughs>